Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to Week 6 Fantasy Football. This is Stats versus Film, where we take the tape from last weekend, mix it, combine it with the spreadsheets, the advanced stats, and the hopes of giving you the right plays, the right players, ahead of Week 6 of NFL action. Hayden, today's a big one. Uh, all, everyone's fantasy football roster is a mash unit. Let's lead them in the right direction. Yeah, this is part of fantasy football. You got to deal with a bunch of injuries. And like we always said, it's week five. The season's very long. What happens in the first month of the season could completely change. And that's going to start, obviously, with some of the biggest running backs, biggest wide receivers in the game now injured. Yep. Let's get into it. Again, there are a couple teams going on by this week in the Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. A few other teams coming out of buys. We're going to hit on all 32 here. Use the timestamps if you want to. And how we have changed this, we start off with 10 headliners. And yes, about seven of these are, I would say, fantasy-altering mm-hmm. injuries and how we should handle the players stepping up in their absences. And we'll kick that off with the Miami Dolphins. Rookie sensation, Devon Achan, dealing with a knee injury. What we know of this information right now, he will miss a couple of weeks. Not injured reserve. As of this time, but that is potential. He's getting a second diagnosis on it. Hayden, what we have seen before and after HN is that Raheem Mostert is awesome. What do we take from that? Does this all go to Raheem Mostert or is this going to be a split backfield with someone else moving forward to? I think that Raheem's going to take on a massive workload for this next week. Jeff Wilson is potentially coming off of injured reserve but they opened up his uh 21 day window and it's still tbd if he's gonna be fully ready to go this week next week or sometime after that we're still waiting news for devon see if he's gonna actually go to uh injured reserves as well what stands out though to me is like you're just watching this film you don't know if it's gonna be a reverse you don't know if it's gonna be a cutback you don't know who's gonna pitch the ball even when you hand the ball off to one of these running backs, you're still worried about Tyreek Hill running the opposite way. So I think that whoever steps in is going to be efficient. Now, Devon Achan has been probably the best running back in the entire league when you're looking at his explosiveness, beating angles, all that stuff. Jeff Wilson, even if he's out there, is not going to be able to do that. Jeff Wilson is a little bit more of a power guy, less of an explosive runner. So I do think that this offense is best set up for Raheem, who's already been the running back four over the last month of the season in uh, running back points, even with Achan ripping off huge plays. So the Dolphins have been more balanced this year, um, and I'm not expecting that to change. I just think Raheem's going to get a huge deal, and what we'll learn if it's going to be Salvin, Ahmed, Jeff Wilson later right. in the week. Yeah, I guess my biggest question is these have been both startable backs in the last three weeks, really. I mean, Achan has gone from four. 49, 25, and 21 fantasy points. Raheem Mostert, ever since week one, 12, 25, 41, four, and then 15 in half point PPR. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just like you, where the status is at for Jeff Wilson. You and I, to be honest, we're drafting a ton of Jeff Wilson this summer because we did plan on a split backfield. 
Um, the, the news around Jeff Wilson this summer was so weird where we got nothing from beat writers, nothing pr- from press conferences. And then just before the season starts, since he obviously was not practicing, he was put uh, on the injury list and now he's back, but we haven't really heard anything from Mike McDaniel, who is kind of coy with, let's say some truths to the media in an awkward way during his press conferences, which we totally love. But as you said, when watching that Miami Dolphins tape, it is so different in terms of their running game versus everyone else, where you see these North and South runs trying to have your guard center guard combination move defensive linemen off the spot. And it's just like into walls, into walls. And for the Dolphins, you have 50% of Raheem Mostert's runs coming off tackle or beyond 55% for Devon Achan tackles and beyond. And then went back to 2022 with Jeff Wilson when this was a worse running game, 68% of his runs were off tackle and beyond. So he fits exactly what we're doing here, Mm -hmm. albeit not one of the fastest players in the league. Yeah, sadly for waiver wires, I think he's worth a speculative ad. I don't think it's a guarantee that it's going to pay off, but I do think that the running back two in this offense would be somewhat relevant. I do think it's obviously a big difference when it's we're dealing with Salvin Achman and Jeff Wilson versus what we know Devon Achan's capable of. But I think Raheem Mostert is maybe a top five running back this week when we're dealing with bye weeks. Uh, I think that he's that explosive. The fumbles have been concerning for him, but he's still been quite productive even with Achan, you know, like literally ending the drive because of a 60-yard touchdown. They don't have their buy until week 10, I believe. And coming up, it's the Panthers, the Eagles, the Patriots, and then the Chiefs, and then their bye mm-hmm. week. So I would personally rank right now Ahmed over Jeff Wilson. Which one do I think has a higher ceiling over the next three weeks? Maybe we get some information that is Jeff Wilson. But for just this week, I think Ahmed probably fills in as that secondary back. But more than likely, it's probably like a 70% share, in my opinion, for Raheem Mostert. Yeah, and just going back to this offseason, Jeff Wilson and Raheem got the same contract, basically multi-years, about $2, 3000000 million. So they like Jeff Wilson. He's just been hurt. So I think they would rather play Jeff Wilson, but it sounds like possibly Salvin Ahmed is a little bit healthier for this next week. But we're in the wild, wild west. There's no information with any of these players, really. Okay, let's talk through Jalen Waddle because it's been a rocky season so far. Uh, 9.8, then 10. Then he missed a week of action. Then 6.6 and 12 fantasy points. Uh, We've talked about it all year long, even in this conversation. Tyreek Hill is the focal point of this offense. Now the counterpunch is this explosive running game. In a way, has that let Jalen Waddle be the tertiary piece, the, the third piece in this offense? And if so, what is the ceiling for that moving forward? Yeah, so just looking at expected fantasy points, last year he averaged 10.2 of them. He was super efficient on them. That's why he was still a kind of boom-bust wide receiver too. This year it's down to 8.7. So he's lost about two expected fantasy points. Now this last week he got super unlucky in the red area like we're seeing here with some underthrown balls, some late passes. They're getting him a couple schemed-up looks, but I think that's the big difference is they're scheming up the running backs and, and Tyree Kill way more all the motion plays are going through Tyreek Hill not to Jalen Waddle so plays like this it's just harder to convert for Jalen Waddle than it is some of these other players just because you can't scheme up every single person in the offense equally and they've made Jalen Waddle having to earn it a little bit more so with HN out I do think that probably is going to help Jalen Waddle and even with the slow start he still is massively capable for some huge weeks but I think like 
a reliable round two wide receiver was just not the case for Jalen Waddle. You're going to have to earn it in better and best ball ways. And I think that if you drafted him for a uh, season long, you're going to have to keep starting him because you can't let the 35 point game that will be coming be on your bench, but you're going to have to deal with the eight point, six point games in the meantime. Uh, we've gotten one jet sweep and four into rounds so far with Devon A. Chan. Um, I don't know if we've ever gotten that from Jalen Waddle in this offense, but yeah, part of me thinks that like if Raheem Mostert is the back in the backfield, then someone is working across mm-hmm. the formation. Maybe those can go to Jalen Waddle just a little bit. Yeah, as producer Weeves put in those highlights of what his 10 targets this past week, four were end zone targets, which is ludicrous. Yep. Like wide receivers rarely get four end zone targets mm-hmm. in a two game stretch. Um, then he had two screens on top of that. And I think both interceptions were fed in his direction. Mm-hmm. And those were uncommon recent to a performance style interceptions. Part of me kind of wonders if like they really wanted to get Jalen Waddle and fund the football to him in this game. And it obviously just didn't work out appropriately. But yep. I, I, I'm with you. Like, again, this is the third piece. But in maybe this period of time where A-Chan is not involved, uh, getting the juice back for Jalen Waddle. I yep. think would be a, a big, big plus because we've rarely seen him be able to put his head down and stride out so far this season. Minnesota Vikings, more big news. Justin Jefferson on injured reserve. Um, Hayden, I do want to bring this up from Adam Schefter as well because we get sometimes these insider reports that are just like vanilla, right? Yes. That it's obviously the injury report and it is what it is. This wasn't so much the case from Adam Schefter. Quote, here's the other unspoken issue that could potentially lengthen Justin Jefferson's absence, which would be beyond four games. If the Vikings don't win games and stay competitive, what is Jefferson's incentive to rush back when he did not land the contract he wanted? His absence could last longer than expected. I don't think Shefty would just put this out there without some basis of reasoning to it. Yeah, the Vikings are in a really tough spot. They're what one one and four. They Kirk Cousins in the last deal of his contract. There's been some speculation that even Kirk Cousins can get moved, but it would be understandable if the Vikings are, let's say, two and seven, two and eight when he's due back. What is the point now? Most players, when they are healthy, come back, especially with somebody that's not fighting for a new contract. I mean, he just got really paid. Whether he didn't get the, he missed out on two million dollars per year that he wanted. I, th- I think that's kind of irrelevant, but Schefter wasn't just tweeting that just for engagement. There's yeah. something possibly to that. And there's been some speculation with the Vikings, all of their players, they've already been trading some pieces this offseason. This was well, kind of like a reset possible year going. Jefferson's not going to get traded. No, I'm not like, saying, I'm not saying that I'm saying like if Kirk cousins or like this, is yeah. a, if there are a couple other ancillary pieces that get moved out because they know where this team is at uh, playing for the long run. I, I think that's a great point because this team, while they did want to be competitive for 2023, had no game plan for the future at quarterback. Like I think everyone, the maybe unspoken truth was that this was going to be Kirk Cousins last season in Minnesota, yes. no matter what. And they were probably going to be too good to get to the quarterback landing spot among those draft picks. Yep. So like now many teams are going to be buying for that. There's a true threshold of good teams and bad teams across the league, but maybe the Vikings are now one of those league worst teams as well. Okay. Let's shelve the rookie talk here for a moment, Hayden, and actually talk about KJ Osborne and how he fits in this as well. 
Alec Lewis, who does a great job over at The Athletic, said, quote, KJ Osborne's experience in the offense should help him slide seamlessly into the X receiver role, which is typically held by Justin Jefferson. How does a team compensate for losing a talent like JJ? You don't. I mean, they can call this the Jefferson role, but KJ Osborne's not Justin Jefferson. And yeah, I think KJ Osborne's going to be fine. Like, for example, season high, 12.5 expected half PVR points last week when Jefferson was in now the lineup, we know that the Vikings will go crazy passing the ball. Uh, but maybe that scales back a little bit when you're missing maybe the best wide receiver in the league. I think KJ Osborne, we know who he is at this point. It's kind of like the Josh Palmer conversation that we've had on the show. Once you remove Mike Williams, how much better does Josh Palmer get? A little bit better for fantasy purposes, but to keep all expectations in check, I think what they're going to try to do with this offense really get Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson going. And then KJ Osborne is just going to remain a full-time participant. Kirk Cousins has been playing good enough where I think Osborne does have some big games coming. I think it'll be a, a pretty unpredictable win that's going to be because they're not going to be force feeding KJ Osborne in any, any capacity. Okay. Let's talk about Jordan Addison then, because Hayden, the thesis to our play of drafting a bunch of Jordan Addison this summer was one Adam Thielen, the wide receiver two on this team last year, ran the second most routes in the NFL. Yep. You replace that with Jordan Addison, who is a first round talent that equals profits to us. So my question to you, does volume now that we get from Jordan Addison, both in terms of routes run and targets, is that more important than the great looks that he probably would have received opposite yeah. Justin Jefferson, who was on the field because of the attention that he seeks from coverages? Jordan Addison is better without Justin Jefferson for fantasy purposes. Now, for the Vikings, oh. that's a different situation. But Jordan Addison, just he just needs more targets, more playing time. Now, there's no excuses with that. Going into this next week, he's been the wide receiver five in EPA per target. He's been very efficient on these big plays. Now, we are, we can get to the tape in a second here. He's not a consistent player quite yet for some of the reasons why a lot of players or a lot of people, including the Vikings, I think, view him as a true number two wide receiver. But they're going to be passing the ball so much, especially if now they're going to be trailing even more in games. That I do think that Jordan Addison is going to be a focal point. He hasn't gotten many schemed up touches, rightfully so. I think they might have to start doing that with Jordan Addison. So coming off of a season high 14.9 expected half PPR points last week, I think that Jordan Addison is locked into at least the wider two wide receiver two discussion, but I would not be surprised if he got hot on some of these games. And he definitely has big play potential just based off of the way he's played in the first uh, month of the season. Okay. Let's talk through the tape then, because what we've seen so far with Jordan Addison as an NFL player is, I don't know. in three of five games hitting a deep touchdown that mm -hmm. can be almost game changing and, you know, scoreboard changing. Um, other than that, we haven't seen like a series out series in consistent player in terms of routes and, you know, earning targets as people like to say. Yeah. So against the chiefs, they were playing a lot of man coverage and that's where Addison's had his struggles on this play in the red zone just beats his guy. And then he has the, the quickness to actually beat the zone defender for his first touchdown. This is another look where you're talking about the theory of Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson more or less gets doubled here. And Jordan Addison on this fourth down has to win one-on-one -on -one coverage comes back to the ball. This is a huge play in this game. And that was a good play for Jordan Addison having to win on man coverage, a little bit more physicality, but you also get some of the nice schemed up stuff from O'Connell here. You get, uh, 
Justin Jefferson running this clear out route, by the time that corner comes back to Jordan Addison man coverage, there's more creation where he doesn't have to win at the line of scrimmage. But you're also seeing at least some glimpses of him winning at the line of scrimmage on this play, a quick little slant play. So this last week was the biggest test for him on where he's going to be winning and losing, but at least he passed that test. I thought last week was his best game Hmm. of the season, but I do think the other part of this, and I want to take a pause is what O'Connell is doing, just scheming up this offense. Like this play, for example, we're going to have, a lot of stuff going on. TJ Hawkins is going to run this clear route up the middle. He almost gets double team, but they have KJ Osborne and Jordan Addison kind of running this kind of switch release and watch this middle slot uh, player right here. He's going to be kind of caught between either taking KJ Osborne vertically, or does he come back and work back to Jordan Addison? So these are like free releases that Jordan Addison's at least getting in this offense because sometimes they will get his hands on him, but at least O'Connell is aware of that. And even if, they do get their hands on Jordan Addison. There are big plays like this one down the field where he still has the speed, even though he's not that fast, uh, according to the NFL combine, where I do think that O'Connell is going to be able to get uh, things open to him. But this is the play that you're talking about where you can get your hands on him. And this is why he might not be a true number one wide receiver. That's going to be the thing that O'Connell is going to have to do to at least get Jordan Addison freed up. Yeah. Um, my brain immediately jumps back to the uh, YMCA dad bod conversation when I brought up how maybe Jordan Addison uh, lacks the bulk, the girth of being a yeah. typical wide receiver one in the NFL. And, you know, people said that about Devontae Smith. I certainly did not. I thought Devontae Smith played really long and really big at times. And I don't want to nitpick one single play, but look, he's in isolation with yep. a ton of room out there. And, Jordan Addison just gets totally locked up here. Like yep. you don't see this from a wide receiver not being able to release off the line of scrimmage very often every single week yep. and you're watching tape. And it happened here. Now, to your point, we've also seen some other really solid elements. We said it heading into his rookie season that how he's going to impact a team immediately at the very least was as a vertical ball tracker and taking the roof off of coverage. Yep. We've seen that so far. And now we get to see more. And we get at least four games of it. I'm a little bit nervous about like KJ Osborne playing the X and then him trying to win in isolation too. Hey, to my brain immediately jumps to this. What if the Vikings who gave a pretty decent contract to Josh Oliver, who played mm-hmm. a ton of three wide receiver sets so far, what if they shift more so to like a 12 personnel focused team, which they've yep. only run, I think on like 17% of snaps so far this season. Um, and not allow like Brandon Powell to go in there as the third wide receiver and instead maybe move TJ Hawkinson from inline at times, but also yep. into like a big slot. I think that is the perfect kind of change up in the meantime. And I think that's a good way for using TJ Hawkinson, but like on that play with, with what we had with Jordan Addison, they could still double team TJ Hawkinson and make Jordan Addison beat them. And I think if that is the case, more two wide receiver sets just make it easier for someone like Jordan Addison to quote earn targets because Josh Oliver is going to be staying in to block. And that's just a little bit easier to earn a target versus like Brandon Powell out in the route. So I think just based off the volume, based on the Vikings, pretty bad defense and how much Kirk Cousins willing to throw the ball, there is going to be easier opportunities for Jordan Addison to kind of reach that 10 targets per game. uh, Look, and I think that was going to be pretty challenging just for the way that he's winning uh, in the NFL so far. Yeah, did love this route the most. I mean, I thought this this was his best ISO route in terms of, hey, we're going to push you off the ball, little stem at the line, obviously, get him upfield, 
And then boom, we work back and create that separation. Like that, that is typical Jordan Addison stuff when I think about him. And I mean, just a huge, a huge step up. No one's going to fill the shoes, as we said, of Justin Jefferson. Uh, I thought that was a really good breakdown you just had. Okay, next team. Arizona Cardinals. James Conner is one of the most ferocious runners in the he NFL, is. and Ooh. that's what leads to injuries for him every single season. Now he is going on an injured reserve for the next four games. Hayden, in your eyes, how is this team going to try to fill in for James Conner? So they have this TCU guy, Mario DiMercado, who had 11.2 expected uh, fantasy points with James Conner leaving early last week. I think he is a waiver wire guy. We still are waiting news to see if Keontae Ingram, who has kind of been the James Conner replacement one-on-one for a little bit. But I think that Keontae Ingram and then this rookie play different types. This guy is more of a... I would say patient, kind of patient runner, more of a space player. He's 215 pounds, but he doesn't look like he's 215 pounds to me at all. I think that I would prefer him versus Keontae because I don't think Keontae was going to be very good in this offense. But I do think, just like what you said, James Conner was so physical that the Cardinals were wanting to run the ball as much as they could in neutral situations. I think out of necessity, they're not going to be able to do that anymore because this, to me, is a big step down. So I actually think the Cardinals are going to pass the ball a little bit more. So in a weird way, I do think it's like even better news for Marquise Brown, who's now up to the wide receiver 16 on wide receiver 12 fantasy usage over the last month of the season. So you can try to take a shot on one of these Cardinals running backs. I don't think we are going to be able to copy paste the same offense just because I don't think either of these type of running backs fill the same type of playing style that James Conner brought to the table. Yeah. And DeMarcado has seen way more passing down snaps uh, in recent weeks. He was, in some ways, taking those from James Conner, even though they were trying to give James mm-hmm. Conner a rest in those environments. I'm with you. Like, how James Conner runs, it's not as simple as, oh, the backup can do that. Yeah. And it's not as electric or ex- as explosive as we have seen with other backs across the league. But in some ways, he's an old school thumper. And yep. I did not see that from DeMarcado. I think this is one of those true cases that the number two running back we don't know how the team actually views them until they are forced into being the starter. This is why running back handcuffs, second stringers aren't all created equal because it would equally shock me if DeMarcado gets like all of the run or if Keontae Ingram gets the bulk of the run, even though we haven't seen him as of late. And so it's just throw my hands in the air and have no clue how to handle this over the next four weeks. And I think I go back to what you said, um, it probably means more for Marquise Brown. And hey, this team has been quite creative with Rondell Moore in the backfield, mm-hmm. too. Certainly don't think that he will fill in the thumper role that we've gotten from James Conner. No. But their offensive coordinator has has certainly been, again, creative in his personnel groupings and how to get Rondell Moore the football as a running back, too. And if you are wildly desperate for tight end production, Zach Ertz, 30 of 36 routes, the tight end 12 <laughs> in usage, it's not going to be pretty, but people are struggling out there with bye weeks, uh, I think you can do worse than him. But I think I think really it is Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown continues to play well, oh, yeah. in my opinion. Dobbs plays better than expected, and I actually do like what this coaching staff is doing, not just like getting this team fired up, but also they're like actually running some pretty cool play designs uh, every single week of the year. There were two notes that I forgot in the last two teams. I'll quickly go through them. With the Vikings backfield, as our buddy Jared Smola pointed out, Alexander Madison got uh, carries plus targets 11 last week, and K-Makers got seven of them. So that gap closed a little bit more. And then 
going back to Jordan Addison and the Jalen Waddle conversation, both basically missed one game. We know Waddle sat out and then Jordan Addison got one target in one. But their season-long totals are quite similar. In fact, Addison has way more production on them. Mm -hmm. So it's just an interesting lens to view those two uh, production stat lines that I don't think has been shown out there so far. Okay, more injuries. Chicago Bears are next. Khalil Herbert, after pulling away from this backfield, now has a high ankle injury. Roshan Johnson is hopefully coming off of concussion, but I believe that happened last Thursday as well. And we know Deontay Foreman has been inactive due to special teams reasons, and Travis Homer plays those snaps. So, again, a backfield that is uncertain. How are you handling it? Well, I'm going to start zooming in here. You can go straight to the bottom. Running back fantasy usage dead last over the last month of the season has been the Chicago Bears, so that's what you're dealing with. I guess they're going to want to get Roshan Johnson as the starter if he is cleared. Uh, he's been playing over Deonta for a reason here. I think Roshan's been pretty up and down. Like There was like this first play where he didn't have to do anything. He finishes off some runs with some physicality. I think he's relatively trusted in situations like this one in the screen game and pass protection for a rookie. And that's obviously not where Deonta Foreman is in. So I think Roshan Johnson does become interesting over the next couple of weeks. But like I've said this entire offseason, you have to be very mindful of your expectations when you're dealing with Bears running backs just because, you know, Justin Fields is going to get his as well. So I'm not sure what your thoughts are on on Roshan Johnson. I think he finishes hard, but I think he's going to be kind of in the plotter discussion for most of his career because he doesn't have like that much burst in general. Yeah, and I think if you dug below the surface for Cleo Herbert over the last few years, he was one of the more underrated runners mm-hmm. in the NFL. My big point is Khalil Herbert had just escaped the two drives to one drive that we had yeah. seen over the last couple of years for Chicago Bears, where he was owning everything. And my brain immediately jumps to, okay, if they have to fill in that with maybe less trusted players, they just go back to the two for one. Yeah. With Roshan getting the two and Deontay Foreman getting the one. Um, yeah. And I even think that's a possibility if like Roshan misses this week because he can't get out of concussion protocol. And then we get Deontay Foreman and Travis Homer a two for one. So basically what I'm saying is I don't think a single one of these players is going to fill in for what Khalil Herbert has been putting out there as the pure starter Mm -hmm. over the last two weeks. And I also, like you just pointed out, think that we need to tick down a market share total of what we get from the bears backfield in comparison to others across the league, because again, they are lasts in in all the chart that you, uh, that you put out there on the screen. Yeah, so this is another chart, and this is yards before contact, which I don't think running backs have much control over, versus missed tackles. And you see kind of in this plotters discussion, like Zeke Elliott's down there, Samaj P. Ryan, Damian Harris. Uh, Roshan Johnson has not been forcing very many missed tackles, despite having a lot of open running lanes like you saw in that video. Compare that to Khalil Herbert, who was actually creating a lot of missed tackles, like one of the highest rates in the league, despite being hit at the line of scrimmage, uh, even more so than Roshan Johnson. So I do think that there is a talent issue between Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson that the Bears will miss. And I would be surprised if Deonta Foreman is not kind of in that plotter discussion as well. Yeah, there's a big fan club, though, for Roshan Johnson. So maybe like we are the run- ones that are wrong in that. But I, I well, uh, I think I think I was a fan of his playing style and what right. he can bring to but in the context the organization. Of the team. Yeah, and as an organization, he's going to be a win. Special teams, 
if if you want that passing situation, all that for fantasy purposes in this offense, it's just like hard for me to like get excited. Let's quickly talk about DJ Moore, who wow went off. I mean, totally went off, and where he was catching passes and the routes he was creating uh, was, I think, amazing stuff. He had this one downfield route where you know he was getting a trail technique. He does his little nod to the inside and forces the corner to take a step or two falsely inside and then boom he's off and creating even more separation ball tracking going up and getting it it was fantastic stuff um does this continue i mean this can can like include a discussion on justin fields who as we talked about on the nc reaction show on sunday night uh has been a better and best ball type of quarterback and high variance in that regard yeah, so f- for DJ Moore, he's over the last month of the season. And by the way, the fantasy usage model is going to only look at the last four weeks of the season now that we've played uh, five games now. DJ Moore is the wide receiver one on wide receiver 26 usage. So now, like he's like the most obvious touchdown regression candidate there you can possibly dream up. He's scoring absolutely ridiculous touchdowns. This last game, I mean, Washington, they were leaving him in isolation almost every single play and Emmanuel Forbes is not ready to kind of handle somebody like DJ Moore. And they were, he was winning on double moves. The safeties were nowhere to be found. Now I will say Justin Fields threw one of the better uh, end zone fades and DJ Moore's ball tracking on that was absolutely phenomenal. But I do want to split some of this share with players like Emmanuel Forbes, like on this play right here, just getting completely thrown off. Like I thought this was one of the worst secondary performances you can possibly uh, dream up but it was this special play where you are like okay you, you should be believing this a little bit like justin fields still has talent if he can actually work with it but i liked how they were, went to empty a lot more in this game playing with a little bit more space in general for this offense because it does have some explosiveness uh between the current so i think better days are coming for the bears versus what we were at the beginning part of the season but you will not get the mismatches like what the commanders were allowing tj Moore to eat on so where are we at with Justin Fields then for rest of season? I, I know we're early. Mm-hmm. We're in week six now, but he is the, if you just look at averages, the quarterback four in mm-hmm. points per game. But obviously that includes games of 15, 17, 12, and then 29 and 33 points over the last two. So quarterback is typically the stickiest week on week for fantasy points out there for us, at least at the elite level. Justin Fields is the opposite of that. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I I think that the designed runs are up versus where they were. They're, I think, going to get a better feel on how to unlock DJ Moore as they've shown the last couple of weeks. Cole Komet's actually making a couple plays at this point. I think that Justin Fields just get a little bit more steady. So to you, is this a turning point where it's all going to be this 20-plus point weeks? Or do you expect, like, again a span of time or one game in there, that's going to be down to 10, 11, 12, 13 points. For sure. I think, I think there will be down weeks. I think some defensive coordinators will just put this offense into a pretzel. I think this offensive line could get easily gotten and Justin Fields will throw some disastrous picks. I do think though, like after you kind of get out of that, like Justin Herbert, kind of Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, like to me, that is a tier. I don't view him like that dissimilarly from someone like Lamar Jackson. I'd rather have Lamar, but I do think that Justin Fields is kind of in that conversation where we were drafting him as, I don't know, the quarterback six, seven, the rest of the year. And when it does work, he can help win you your week. It's that simple. He does have the Vikings, the Raiders, and the Chargers next. Okay, moving on to the Indianapolis Colts, 
because they have their own quarterback injury. It sounds like four to six weeks for Anthony Richardson with a grade three AC joint injury. What changes for this offense? Because Gardner Minshew is one of the most capable backup quarterbacks in the league, but he and Anthony Richardson, let's just say, have uh, different frames and different skills on the field. Yeah, so the Colts have been running the ball a ton recently, actually very effectively, but you can see that the Colts' neutral pass rates have completely ticked down. I do think over a larger sample, Gardner Minshew and the Colts will pass the ball more than they would with Anthony Richardson, and I do think that Gardner Minshew is perfectly acceptable as somebody that can distribute the ball. So I think that I have more optimistic lens uh, with Michael Pittman and Josh Downs potentially as a PPR scammer. But Michael Pittman's had 12.6 and 13.3 expected half PPR points in the Gardner Minshew games. That is wide receiver two level usage. And I I don't think that the Colts pace is going to really tick down without Anthony Richardson. I just think that's a Shane Steichen uh, offensive like scheme thing that he wants, like it's something he believes in. And I do think that Gardner Minshew is capable of running a fast paced offense going back to even his college days too. So I think there's volume to be had here, uh, but I think mostly it's just going to be through Michael Pittman. I think that this is a big news for Josh Downs over the next four to six weeks. And as you said, let's not go crazy. I think that he actually might be who people want Wondell Robinson to be. Josh Downs looks exactly like the player at UNC mm-hmm. that he is in the NFL now, you know, mm-hmm. and I love that. But what that means is 77% of his targets have been nine yards or less to the line of scrimmage. We have gotten a few downfield shots, but that's mainly and mostly like when they sit on those underneath patterns and then boom, he rolls out and let's go from there. But, you know, Gardner likes to either get the ball out quickly or ad lip a little bit. And Josh Downs is almost the check down in a lot of those situations. Um, What he's so good at is his pacing, his hops, these little jitterbug movements to create that little sliver of separation. And then he does play slightly bigger than his frame would indicate. Again, Mm -hmm. is exactly what he looked like in Chapel Hill. Unless you're playing PPR, though, like that to me is not going to equal a top 20 wide receiver on a weekly basis. But he's going to give you steady, I believe, opportunities. And he's going to have to fall into the end zone, get an end zone target in order to be like a winnable piece for you on a weekly basis. But steady, I think, can be, during these injuries and these bye weeks, an important piece too. Yeah, I completely agree. He's, I think, going to be a better, a more valuable player for real-life teams than for fantasy purposes, at least for half PPR, like you said. Uh, Wide receiver 51 on wide receiver 54 usage over the last month. I will be ranking him somewhere in the 40s with bye weeks uh, being factored into that. Uh, And then full PPR, you can bump him up just a little bit. Did we learn anything from Jonathan Taylor returning to the field? I mean, I didn't. There was, what, 10 snaps, yeah. 4.5 expected happy per month. Like, okay, question. Question then. Since okay. we didn't learn anything from Jonathan Taylor returning in, you know, we did learn that Zach Moss still has talent. You know, mm-hmm. Zach Moss is still reeling off big runs and being a focal point of this offense. Could this be the closest that we've seen, you know, since Jonathan Taylor, I think it was during his rookie year, just exploded towards the end? Yeah. Ever since then, he had this backfield to himself, right? Mm -hmm. Could we get to a point where this backfield is more split than we've ever seen with JT in the past? Because, you know, Zach Moss is doing nothing to lose the job, even though Jonathan Taylor just got paid. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're going to treat this similar to like how what we're seeing with Brees Hall, where the first three, four games back, you have to split this thing back. And then eventually Jonathan Taylor will just be severely outplaying 
Zach Moss in a week or a month from now, and then it will be Jonathan Taylor's backfield. But I, I do think there was a span where Jonathan Taylor was like 80% snaps. I don't think we're going to keep completely get there, but like we talked about, the Colts playing with this much pace does open up the opportunity for more guys to get home. But I do think by the time Anthony Richardson gets back, which is probably four to six weeks, that's probably when Jonathan Taylor's going to be fully unleashed. Yeah. Until then, I, I think there's even a good chance that I'll be ranking Zach Moss ahead of Jonathan Taylor this week. He'll probably be relatively close. I'll listen to news later on, but I think it's going to be a slow play. I think most reminiscent of like Brees Hall. Atlanta Falcons. Some emerging players. Some guy named Kyle Pitts caught seven passes for 86 yards in wow. week six. Haven't really seen him on fancy radars over the last few weeks, Hayden. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of popped up from nowhere. Uh, in fact, it's the first time that Kyle Pitts topped 87 yards since December 26 of 2021. That's from our buddy Kyle Dvorak. What did you see when watching the former top 10 overall pick? He certainly made some plays. I will say it's never easy with Kyle Pitts. Like he had to earn all of those plays downfield. There's no underneath looks because all of those are actually going to John o. Smith, who, by the way, over the last month is the tight end nine on tight end nine usage. Like he's like actually somewhat on the radar just because he's the shallow, more traditional uh, tight end. Now, Kyle Pitts, like basically operating as a wide receiver. Desmond Ritter, you're right, did play well. Yeah, but it was a lot of please just go catch these balls. Drake London and Kyle Pitts. But at the same time, when you have freaks like this, I think those are the type of throws that I'm happy to see Desmond Ritter finally pulling. He doesn't look super agile right now. I think that's still knee related, but there's only so many people on the planet of his size that can be winning down the field like this. So he's up to the tight end four in usage over the last month. I know it hasn't been pretty out there, but he's going to have some big boom weeks just because he actually gets downfield targets and those while inconsistent are more valuable than just like some of these little silly checkdowns. Can he graduate to the top four tight ends that we can rely on a weekly basis? Or is he stuck in the everyone else category that he is going to have seven for 87, maybe six for 81 or four for 62 in a touchdown, but then mixed in with one or two or three targets or catches. To me, he's more in like the Evan Ingram zone where like you're probably going to get three catches. I'll be very different where obviously Calpitz is running down the field and Evan Ingram is running across the field. And Evan Ingram has a great quarterback and Calpitz doesn't. I, I just think that of all of the tight ends, if we are playing in this game where no tight end is safe from like having a three catch game, right. at least Kyle Pitts has a path to 100 yards. And like you can't say that about the Zach Hurts and the maybe Luke Musgrave types, the Dalton Kincaid types. At least I can say, look how all these deep field targets, if he just catches any of these, Kyle Pitts is cooking. So I think like tight end eight, rest of the way, somewhere in there, I just think that the Desmond Ritter stuff over time is a bad thing. And Kyle Pitts, while this game was nice, he still doesn't look all the way there. He's just so big and powerful. I I actually think there is something to all these routes turning to the left. I would say 80% of them were rounded. Nothing is sharp cuts. And it's, I think, because he's still getting back to 100% health and then just seven yards after the catch combined for all of them. Colt McCoy and I will have uh, this week's episode of Scheme uh, on Desmond Ritter and this offense. It was the same flood concepts or dagger concepts a lot. Um, I do also want to bring up Van Jefferson getting dealt to this team. Yeah. Does that change anything up to you? Is it just he's coming from Matt Collins' head and that's it? Yeah, I think they'll compete. They need like... 
more, I guess they always want more size in this offense. Van Jefferson's like a relatively big dude out there too. I mean, Van Jefferson, we can't even get Drake London on the fantasy radar consistently. Uh, I don't think this is going to matter. I think it's a good, good trade for the Falcons though. New York Jets. We got Kyle Pitts back in our lives. Now we get Brees Hall back in our lives. 25 opportunities, which are carries plus targets. I will add, they did lose Elijah Vera Tucker for the season with an Achilles. He was filling in at right tackle. Makai Becton left at points. Uh, he's playing left tackle. But regardless, it was against the Denver Broncos. We need to add in that caveat. But we've gotten to this point where it's so clear that Brees Hall, to me, is 90, 95% of what we saw last season. And he was reeling off 7, 12, 20-yard gains early on, and then boom, off to the races once he destroyed that safety's angle for a 72-yarder yep. as well. Uh, where are you at the confidence level with Brees Hall in your starting lineup? Is he among this running back position, locked in no matter what? Yeah, he's definitely locked in. Last week, season high, 19.1 expected half PVR points. The week that we had the coach say, hey, he's fully unlocked. So like, we got the confirmation. We put him in the lineups. He went crazy. Uh, long runs like that aren't going to be sticky week to week. So I think he's going to be more of a boom bust runner because this offense can completely fall apart. That offensive line is a stone cold disaster, but Brees Hall is so damn explosive that he is going to be getting there. And the jets went back to a super ground heavy approach this last week, their neutral pass rate completely ticked down after it was a little bit up against the chiefs. But I mean, He's making good cuts. The Broncos, I mean, the Broncos defense is a complete mess, but it, shout out to, for, to Brees for actually like hitting the hole, some cuts like that. That's improvement where he was even a month ago on tape, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, as everyone knows, I'm so in love with Brees Hall. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers was playing this season, this would be just, uh, I think, a massive year for Brees mm-hmm. Hall the rest of the way. Now with Zach Wilson, it's kind of similar to what we got to in the first six games of last year, where I believe this team is lowest in neutral pass rate through five games this season. That does meet a bunch of opportunities, but that also can be difficult sledding in tight games and the defense has to play well. You don't have much margin for error. So I don't, I, I am not totally sold on Nathaniel Hackett as a play caller in this Nor league should you be. so far. <laughs> yeah. They did show a couple things. Like we saw some motions and stuff and shifts, and I don't think that would have been an Aaron Rodgers thing. So maybe you're getting some new stuff and coming up here though, we go from, the Denver Broncos defensive front, then to next, the Philadelphia Eagles defensive front that Brees Hall has to face. Yeah, that's not going to be fun. Uh, just for Gary Wilson, he's the wide receiver 15 in usage over the last month, but he is the wide receiver 35 in actual production. And if you remove that 68-yard touchdown, which Garrett Wilson is capable of ripping off, he does have a 5.0 yards per target with Zach Wilson. So we got the explosive plays. We're getting some schemed up stuff for Garrett Wilson, but banking on any level of consistency is not right. I will say at least we can, we've seen some precedent of them at least scheming him up constantly and not going completely to the army football uh, type of offense. So uh, he's at least on the wide receiver three radar. And final point on that. I think they've forced it into Zach Wilson's head of, okay, if this is single high, you are throwing it to Garrett Wilson on the outside. And that doesn't mean the throw is going to be accurate as we saw with the Patrick Sertan interception but at least he is not you know checking it and then Mm -hmm. ducking and looking for someone else like he is at least giving Garrett Wilson opportunities that he wasn't last season okay Los Angeles Rams speaking of the Van Jefferson trade they have dealt him away and so now we know for the rest of the season is Cooper Cup Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell and man it looked beautiful 
it was so awesome to see the Cooper Cup first drive was special. Um, and no surprise, we have 32% targets to Cooper Cup, 30% targets to Puka Nakua, and then 14% targets to Tutu Atwell. It won't be exactly those numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't very far off from those. I think Tutu and T uh, or uh, Tyler Higby take huge steps down. I think that Puka Nakua is going to survive as a top 15 fantasy wide receiver because Stafford is playing out of his mind still, but Cooper cup, 32% targets, 15.3 expected half PPR points in his debut. That's the wide receiver four over the last month. I think that Cooper cup has a chance with Justin Jefferson ailing to be a top two, top three fantasy wide receiver. The rest of the way, there is nothing about Cooper cups tape in my opinion that has me concerned. And I do think that they were being very cautious with Cooper cup. And I think he's ready to go the rest of the year. Um, and shout out Matthew Stafford staying in there, taking some big hits again, fighting through injury. But he, these option routes like that one, I mean, you cannot, you can't cover those. No, you you can't. And we, we saw it immediately. And they did some cool stuff to scheme it up too, to get Pukunakua and Tutu Atwell, basically everyone running from the same spot, them running off coverage, and then it creating a void and just a one-on-one that Cooper Cup has to beat. And we know he can do that. I'm totally with you that this hurts Tutu Atwell. Um, again, he was one of the only uh, three or four players in the league that going into this who played all four games that had at least eight targets in those uh, that dropped down to five targets. I will say they were inches yes. away from hitting a 63 yarder to the house for Tutu Atwell. So he will go, I think, back to more of a spike week player. But this team, more than any other, lives in 11 personnel. 92% of the time. So we don't even have to really worry about two wide receiver sets here. And in a pinch, I think you can go with a team that you trust the offense and you trust the quarterback into two out well and like bank on hopefully a deep shot that succeeds. Yep. And then totally with you that if it's your wide receiver two or heck, maybe overall wide receiver one that we get towards the end of the year with Cooper Cup, uh, those guys are locked into your lineup. Last note here, Kyron Williams, season low, uh, 8.7 expected fantasy points against the Eagles, but still played 84% of the snaps. I don't think that's changing. He will have goal line opportunities. He will catch a few passes per game. So Kyron Williams, while he's not making plays himself, he's just the product of a really strong fantasy environment with Sean McVay. Uh, and you're just going to be betting on some goal line touchdowns. I think that the Rams will be in the red area a lot the rest of the way. Philadelphia Eagles. So we got the Dallas Goddard game after going zero points, five points, seven points, three points. He pops up here for 22 fantasy points. How'd it happen? It was definitely some squeaky wheel going on. It was one of the funnier games to watch on tape because this guy was running directly at zone defenders, bumping off of them and then still making plays. I had never seen this before, but yeah, I think it goes back to like the 49ers discussion. They have three really good players. They have a decent running back, uh, also a product of the offensive line. So they can win in multiple ways, and I don't think there's enough balls to go around to get everyone involved. So this week, it was Dallas Goddard. Next week, it probably won't be. But Dallas Goddard, at least, is the tight end three in routes run. Season high, obviously, in uh, points and expected points last week. Good, good game to get him back. And then they also got this uh, shot play, kind of this might have been um, a little bit later on where he does a little spin move, gets back all the way over, over the top. You don't really see yeah, these plays too often. So this is just I mean, like this Eagles is such a funny stuff. play. And I, I yeah. don't know what to call this route because this is purposely lackadaisical. 
you know, and how he spins. And it's like a little <laughs> sit or if you want to call it sticks or whatever, spins off of it that turns into a wheel uh, and you can see him speed up as the wide receiver clears out the rest of the room and he just runs into the void. It is the least explosive, explosive play that you will see. Yeah. But again, I, I'm with you that like maybe squeaky wheel factors into it. But I don't think that we're going to have another game where Devontae Smith goes like over, you know. So it's one of those situations, as you outlined, very 49ers-ish. If one guy gets a zero, someone else is going to have a tremendous week. Yep. And that was the case here with Devontae versus Dallas Goddard. Maybe a best ball tight end. We'll see. Um I just want to get a little temperature check on Devonte Smith over the last month. He's been the wide receiver 58 in usage. His usage this year is down versus where it was last year. And then since 2022, including the NFL playoffs, he's a wide receiver 19 per game. So like I've been ranking him somewhere in like the wide receiver 15 range. He was drafted as what the wide receiver eight. Do we need to just take a moment here and readjust? We can hmm. acknowledge that he has, massive games coming and that does matter a lot but maybe have we been over ranking him just a little bit because to me aj brown is going to get his almost every single week and i think Devonte smith jalen hurts rushing and then dallas goddard now are going to kind of ping pong who else is going to pop off what if my response is i thought that this was the best game from jalen hurts that we've seen so far and- i agree other than the interception, I thought he looked super comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was willing to hold the football, find operable space, not run off with it, reset, fire the ball down the field. This was the game. To me, it looked like he was the most comfortable since Shane Sykin has left this offense. And I think that is notable for the rest of the season. It It is difficult because obviously DeAndre Swift, who we'll talk about here in a moment, has come in and is better than Miles Sanders. And it's tough. There's going to be games like we just talked about Dallas Goddard. And as you outlined that Devonte Smith is going to go up there for two touchdowns and 150 yep. yards. Um, but yes, it's why we were drafting AJ Brown over Devonte Smith that on a week in week out basis, he will also have those two touchdown, 150 yard games, but he's also going to have 55, 64 yard performances too. You can see Devontae Smith, his average at the targets is a little bit higher this year versus last year. So some of those like maybe schemed up looks, he's just not getting maybe because that's DeAndre Swift. Maybe it's the other, part of this, the other part of this is the Eagles offense again through these five games has not looked as good as it did last year. They can easily. Yeah, that can be the difference. And also a huge part of this is and Ted Nguyen point this out. Their red zone offense has been a mess so mm-hmm. far this year. Um, they are 27th in the league in red zone touchdown success rate at 42%. Ooh. It was third in the league last year. That's again, Shane Sykin calling plays. And they've, by the way, he's bumped up like the, the Colts from 28th to 16th so far. Um, they were at 68% last year. Now, caveat, two game-ending drives that they were running out the clock qualify here as not having touchdowns inside the red zone that they just ran the clock out. Right. But – the point stands, and Brandley Gowton, who has been covering the Eagles for a very long time, did some very cool charting where DeAndre Swift, when he has gotten a touch inside of the red zone, they have scored a touchdown on six of nine drives. When Kenny Gainwell has, they've only scored a touchdown on one of six of those drives. So the answer, Hayden, is just more – it's more DeAndre Swift. And if we can look at the red zone touch, uh, red zone rushing as well for this team, we talked about it last year with – Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts being like back-to-back among the highest in the league. 
DeAndre Swift is sitting there right now with his six most carries inside the 10-yard line, has scored a touchdown on two of them, and then Jalen Hurts is one spot behind with 10 of those carries. So he really has filled in for Miles Sanders, not just admirably, better so far. Yeah, he is the running back seven in on running back seven usage over the last month of the year. So DeAndre Swift is like right on that low-end RB1 usage. And by the way, even with all the red zone issues they've had, Jalen Hurts have some slow games. He's the quarterback too in fantasy points. Well, and, and a big part of that is he's had, you know, five carries from inside the five and has scored a touchdown on four of them. And that's not changing. <laughs> that is that is not changing. It is a skill. Mm-hmm. I'm going down with that ship that the touch oh, push yeah, sure. is, is a skill. Cincinnati Bengals. Speaking of red zone rushing, Hayden, Joe Mixon owns 100% of the Bengals red zone carries. That's 16 he has scored a single touchdown on them so far. What gives? I mean, we just need to roll the damn tape on this one. The Joe Mixon, he was getting tackled by DBs that had no business bringing him down one-on-one. It was super frustrating. Joe Mixon has been very inefficient in these type of runs before. I think the offensive line still has been pretty problematic. But I think the good news is for Joe Mixon and for everybody Joe Burrow just looked better in general this week. So Joe Mixon hopefully will have more goal line chances moving forward. He's not going to get benched, nothing like that. It was just super frustrating that he was going down one-on-one at the half-inch line. And to me, it was all Joe Mixon's fault on some of these ones. I think that that's a bit harsh. I'm not here to like... That one right there, come on. I'm not here to cape for Joe Mixon. But the Bengals put themselves in these situations. There were three carries at the one yard line or inside of it against the Arizona Cardinals. It is very different versus what we just talked about for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles, where all of their momentum is at the line of scrimmage and pushing forward because of Joe Burrow's limitations right now, with right. his mobility, every single one of his carries mm-hmm. are out of shotgun, mm-hmm. every single one. So that's taking you five yards further back. Then yes. you have to take a lateral step, restart your momentum and then go forward while the offensive line is allowing penetration so the Bengals being stuck in shotgun i think is Hurt. hurting the red zone success of joe mixon and his rushing so far this season yeah i completely agree with that like that's that's totally fair uh we'll see if that actually changes you need to do forward. direct snaps if they're going to do that by the way yeah i, I think i'm open to that i think i think joe burrow over Pistol the next week something. or two will just get more and more healthy like he was he was able to break out of the pocket a couple a couple times his last game he had jamar chase on that really deep pass which i think you said was the furthest pass yeah. he's completed it's in the air goes. yeah so i think there's signs and like even the betting markets before the game that this Bengals offense should be ready to go and i mean jamar chase it was it was unfair how much better of a player he was versus the guys defending him and then also the cardinals inexperience in the secondary uh was just kind of picked apart by joe burrow so Really promising start. Um, as for Tyler Boyd, real quick, nothing really stuck out. Eight point eight uh, points uh, expected based off of his issue or his usage and his issues, I guess. Trent Irwin got out there. Um, I, to me, it's just going to be Jamar Chase. Massive, massive games until T Higgins gets back. Really, Burrow looked great, and there was even one play where he was, you know, forced to press back in the pocket, spun around, and like he trusted his mobility. Part of me kind of wonders, just looking back on it, that 27-3 to loss to the Titans, if they were just so terrified by the Titans' defensive line. And I don't think another team, maybe until they get to the 49ers in, let's say, three weeks, because next week is the Seahawks and they have a bye week, and then it's the 49ers right after that. If 
their offensive line could get dominated like that again. But yeah. hopefully by that time, Burrow's a, a bit healthier. But yeah, yep. I mean, the jump from just being a capable player from Joe Burrow from week four to week five was gigantic. And yep. the longer it goes, the more downfield shots and the bigger plays that we're going to get to. And that just unlocks the entire ceiling here. So hopefully we have the answers. And it was just a super rough start to the season. But what's new? The Bengals always have a rough start to the season, yep. no matter what. Yeah, Joe Burrow can't have a healthy August to save his life. Next, Baltimore Ravens. We now start in alphabetical order, and these will go a bit quicker. Uh, quickly in this backfield, Justice Hill, 11 opportunities. Gus Edwards, 12 opportunities. So while Justice Hill is returning from, I think it was a high ankle injury, they are still splitting them 50-50. Maybe the big talking point, Hayden, is Zay Flowers and how his average depth of target went further and further down the field in this game. Uh, it was successful in some ways, but mm -hmm. overall, this pass-catching unit totally, in totality, let down Lamar Jackson, as we talked about on Sunday night. Yeah, it was, it was a total mess out there. Um, Mark Andrews is the most reliable option. He's a tight end three in usage and points uh, over the last month since he's returned. Zay Flowers is now the wide receiver 48 on wide receiver 24 usage. There's nothing in between for Zay yep. still, you know, like they gave him some more opportunities and he kind of failed on those. Rashad Bateman had one of the most brutal games imaginable. Odell Beckham still in and out of the lineup. So really it's just like all on Lamar. Hopefully Zay Flowers can get hot. I do think there is something to the kind of how he's winning in the NFL right now is how he won at Boston College, in my opinion, too. And like the middle part of that field is going to be uh, a work in progress for him. Um, and then the running backs, like you said, Justice Hill and Gus are like basically 50 50 in this thing. Justice Hill is like totally different players. And but they're using them exactly like that. I, I would rather have Justice Hill, I think. But I think if you're starting these guys, you're not winning your fantasy championship. Yeah, it's man for how much we discussed like the step this offense. What's crazy is it really should have taken that step this past week. Like, 14, 21 points were just left Drops. on the field. Part of me also wonders if like Nelson Aguilar is actually going to be a thing in this offense the rest of the way. He's their most reliable, like <laughs> real target wide receiver. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's not the, in the context of that, of that wide receiver room in a weird way. I, I yeah. kind of agree with you with, he has the most experience matched with the health matched with the juice. I think at the moment in a yeah. in, I don't even know how to explain this wide receiver room at the moment. It, it it truly breaks my brain that we can get to this point because Lamar is playing well, yet it's not showing up this past week when he has 11 fancy points because, again, point shaving by his own team. Catch the ball challenge. It's the NFL. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service 
that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Buffalo Bills. We got to talk about our guy, Gabe Davis. Yes, we do. Because Gabe Davis is no longer just a high variance, better and best ball type. Gabe Davis is just a legit fantasy football wide receiver that should be in your starting lineups. So going back his last 22 healthy games, so he removed that ankle injury and then he played two games, not at full health. If you remove those, he's played 22 games since 22. He's averaging 13 fantasy points in them, half PPR points. That is like top 15 fantasy wide receiver numbers. Now I will say, I think it will go up and down throughout the course just because that's what Gabe Davis is the kind of player he is, but he is hitting these shot plays every single week. And right now He's the wide receiver 14 over last month on wide receiver 51 usage. He is a negative regression candidate, but the context is Gabe Davis is known for these big plays. And so is Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen's still playing at a really high level. So like, I think I'll still continue to rank him as the wide receiver 22 to 28, depending on the matchups. And I think that will be right. And hopefully consensus actually not. I hope consensus keeps ranking him as the wide receiver 40 consensus. Be damned. Gabe Davis is better than what people think. Yeah, as Jared Smola points out, Gabriel Davis is sitting on a career-high 69% catch rate. Remember, like during his rookie year when he was asked to play more, that catch rate bottomed out, and this is yeah. why he was replaced by Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. And so now that he's consistent in that area, that helps. And it also helps when his career-high dot averaged up the target mm-hmm. 15.7 yards right now. I mean, this is a great combo, a tremendous mm-hmm. combo for fantasy football. Plus, he's getting red zone targets. And this team, despite being a guinea pig last week and not playing well between the twenties was still three for three inside the red zone and scoring touchdowns against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Go watch that scheme episodes. Just insane what they're doing. And I will say there's some uh, injuries to monitor here. We had both uh, Kincaid and Knox, both of the tight ends dealing with injury. I think concussion protocol for Kincaid, a wrist injury for Knox. We'll know more later in the week, but that would even give, uh, Gabe Davis even more opportunities and then last week the running backs and this is the problem with the, the Bills running backs if they are trailing they are not going to use the running backs whatsoever so it's going to be hard to predict when the Bills are going to be trailing but we saw season lows out of James Cook who's now the running back 22 in usage over the last month uh, then Latavius and D- Damian Harris they weren't doing a whole lot either so when the Bills do get into negative game script it's all Josh Allen chunk plays Steph Diggs all that type of stuff Steph Diggs by the way even on the Steph Diggs radar is having one of the most efficient seasons yeah. of his career always efficient but this year has just been another whole level Dalton Kincaid only has 18 more receiving yards than Deontay Hardy uh despite Dalton Kincaid being out there for 199 snaps so far this season and uh, Deontay Hardy being out there for 73 snaps. It's just not, yeah, it's not good. That's not what you want to spend a first round pick on so far. Carolina Panthers. Let's talk about Adam Thielen. Cause what is happening right now is I think truly amazing. And Hayden, I think it has staying power just from the fact that this entire wide receiver room lacks juice. They invested actual money into Adam Thielen, 
and how they are game planning, whatever game plan you want to call it, right. it is funneling targets to Adam Thielen over the middle of the field. Dude, it's outrageous. He's a wide receiver seven in, in usage, uh, wide receiver nine in fantasy points over last month since he's been fully healthy. You are right. They are scheming him looks. Like they'll give him a, a couple option routes, a lot of stuff in the Which flats. Which is not good. <laughs> a, a lot of stuff over the middle. But man, I really can't blame him because Chark and Mingo and Terrace and all these guys can't get off uh, a press coverage. Miles Sanders and Chuba can't get anything going on the ground behind that offensive line. And Bryce isn't going to be scrambling around too much. So their best bet is just to throw the ball to Adam Thielen. By the way, Adam Thielen, after the catch, is still not moving the needle for me whatsoever. Like this play right here, it's just like there's still no juice with Adam Thielen. Well, he's looking behind he, him because he knows someone's going to catch him. Yes, but he at least knows how to get open. Like that's a perfect example right there, working back, finding the soft spot in the zone. He seems like the only one on the offense, of like called quarterback, play calling, other wide receivers, just knows how to play NFL football, like understands what's going on concept wise in, in and out knows where to be. So I'm with you. Like at this point, like who did you say they're playing this week? You said it was like, is it like the chiefs or somebody crazy? Uh, it is the Miami dolphins. Yeah. The dolphins. Perfect. He's going to catch 10 passes this week. Like I, I I've accepted it. Uh, it is pretty amazing because I think it was overlooked a little bit that he was significantly injured heading into that week one. And that's why Hayden Hurst got a huge bump in his opportunity. And ever since then, we have nine targets, 14 targets, eight targets, and 13 targets for Adam Thielen after, again, a two-target performance there in week one. And I guess my problem, though, it, it stems from Adam Thielen being the featured player on this team. Because if he does get locked up, then what else is there to go to? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough Nothing. <laughs> so I, I think that inherently is a problem. But because this team is going to be losing in games and they are 14 point underdogs, to the Miami dolphins already, then Adam Thielen, like you said, and like we saw this week in the fourth quarter, when I think Bryce young throws for two touchdowns. Yeah. Functional garbage time can be our I friend know. here in this environment too. Yeah, you're right. I've accepted it. Yeah. And Bryce had a touchdown that was dropped by, you know, some players out there, he's still, he's working the middle of the field. It's everything else on the perimeter that is not working. And I think you can kind of trace that to, again, these wide receivers like DJ Chark who can't get off his man and Jonathan Minga, who is definitely still working the position. And everyone knows I've retired from the uh, Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard discourse, despite every single uh, other fancy show, Hayden, mentioning Chuba Hubbard as a waiver wire pickup this week. I just want to stress that Chuba Hubbard's Eight of his 11 touches this week happened in the fourth quarter when the team had a zero chance percentile of winning this game. Yep. I, yeah, you posted the chart on, on Twitter. So go find that if you want to, you know, waste your time on earth debating about <laughs> Panthers running backs, Cleveland Browns. They're coming out of a bye. What do you want to see? I want to see Deshaun uh, healthy. He, I think was limited. Uh, it's still coming back from that shoulder injury. Because the DTR stuff wasn't fun. I, I I think I've come to grips that we should be throwing away all of those takes. I will say with David Njoku, man, like the early season usage makes no sense. Like his ADOT's like at three yards down the field. He hasn't been involved in the offense. I'm hoping to come out of this by being able to use him more. I like to see more Ninjoku and less Elijah Moore. I just think that Ninjoku is just way better. Um, so I think it was, this is going to be very dependent on if Deshaun Watson's actually healthy or not. They get the 49ers this weekend, which is a tough first matchup to Dang. get. Uh, I'm amped to see Jerome Ford as the lead ball carrier. 
the uh, the rest of the way because he was my highest drafted player all summer long. Okay, Dallas Cowboys are up next. <sighs> Is there hope for Tony Pollard to like turn this around this season? I mean, they still haven't played a normal game. Like, <laughs> I think that's a great point, and I, I'll, I'll pull this up because again, our buddy Jared Smola pointed this out. They have not played a normal game. We're getting incredible usage from Tony Pollard. We're also getting him at the league lowest rate at avoiding tackles so far this season. But again, as Jared points out, friend of the show, they had a 40-point win, a 20-point win, a 12-point loss, a 35-point win, and a 32-point loss. It's hard to get anything going. So, like, and the usage is because he's failed at the guard at the goal line a bunch of times before. Like, I had the same note in uh the fantasy usage model. Missed tackles per, per carry before this season. 0.23, which is pretty strong this season, 0.07. So basically a quarter of his usual force missed tackles is down. Now the Cowboys have also had injuries to their offensive line throughout this entire season. So that's something to monitor moving forward, but they just got absolutely smoked by the 49ers who probably are the best team in the NFL right now. Um, I would say Tony Pollard is a buy low, but it is a little bit concerning that Dak Prescott coming off of his injury has not looked the same and Tony Pollard coming off of a very similar injury has not looked the same. This offense just like lacks juice. Like, yeah. like you keep mentioning Brandon cooks hasn't offered them anything. Nothing. Michael Gallup had like one game, but it was like dunking on players, not running away from players. And they throw the ball underneath so much. They just don't have like the dolphins explosiveness, creativity in any capacity. Dak Prescott's good at like dicing teams up. But if you're looking for actual juice, and that's how you like actually make a difference in this league, the Cowboys just don't have that right now. So I think Tony Pollard is a buy low because one of your dumb league mates will trade him away uh, for for not a whole lot. But I don't think that he's going to be in that Austin Eckler tier where I thought he had a chance to to get. It's just everything's a little bit off in Dallas right now. It's kind of like the Joe Mixon conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. Like if you just look at players and this is what we like care most about in the NFL are high value touches, right? Tony Pollard's up here with 27 carries inside the 20 yard line. He scored touchdown on two of them. Just look at the two names right after him. Christian McCaffrey, Dave Montgomery. They're the only ones that have hit the 20 mark or even the 19 mark. And they each have six or five touchdowns. And that's not even including the receiving game for either of those players. So like regression comes for everyone. Hopefully positively, mostly negatively. And the other caveat to this that I always want to bring up, let's not forget the quotes that his position coach said last year when everyone was advocating for 20-plus touches for Tony Pollard. And he said, well, if we give Tony that, he's not going to be as explosive. It's not going to be as effective, Mm -hmm. right? We're kind of seeing that like, obviously his efficiency is going to go down and this isn't to say like he is botting me out, but you know, I thought he deserved to be a first round pick. Now he's the running back 14 in points per game right now. And Hayden though, maybe the bigger conversation with all of it is going back to CD lamb who only has two games out of five over 10 half point PPR fantasy points this season. The usage is down at 12.9 expected fantasy points from lamb last year. This year it's at 9.8 now. It seems like I think a lot of that goes back to the same thing with Tony Pollard. Like they haven't played a normal game and that's just like kind of had effects with everybody, but the CD lamb stuff has not been nearly as good. And he, in my opinion, he was slightly overdrafted for the production that he's had historically. We're trying to put him in that AJ Brown 
conversation. To me, he's just not uh, that level of player. And again, we update this every single week for the red zone touchdown success rate, which last year with Kellen Moore at the helm, uh, this team was first with scoring 71% of the time inside of the 20-yard line, a touchdown rather than a field goal or ending a drive. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys are 28th at 37%. That is a significant, significant drop. And that changes fancy points for us. I think that will even out, but it has not been good. It has not been good. Denver Broncos. Let's start positively here, okay? Where? (laughs) Jaleel McLaughlin is one of my favorite players in the league. The man can scoot. The man has juice. We don't get to see it that often. But Hayden, I'm stating it right now. We know Javante Williams has had tons of love out there. Samashi Pirine did his thing in Cincinnati. Jaleel McLaughlin needs to be the player from his backfield that touches the ball the most because look at this. Give me these jets all day. I need to see this on every single Sunday. Yeah, I agree. They're using him in a lot of the fun ways. He looks like a miniature version of Devon Achan out there. Um, just And that's kind of what we're seeing. It's, it's short King summer. Uh, for the running back position this year, and he is right at the forefront of it. I don't. I think he is going to fall into that category of you can't make him a bell cow. Uh, this offense is going to be very hit and miss, but he is at least providing some level of juice because they lack everything. But Sean Payton has, again, utilized these types in the past. We can go down the list if you want to, from Darren Sproles to Reggie Bush to Pierre Thomas, and he's had tons of success with them. Yep, and he is like actually forcing some tackles, creating yep. on his own. Just going back to this chart where I was – kind of looking at Roshan Johnson. Look, look at Jaleel McLaughlin. He's breaking a lot more missed tackles than what you would expect for some somebody that's getting hit at the line of scrimmage of where he is. They're scheming him up in some fun ways. Um, I'm with you. Javante Williams does not look the same. And Sean, that was not Sean Payton's decision to have draft Javante Williams. It was Jaleel's. Uh, he is Jaleel's guy. So I, I think that this is like somewhat real. Um, I'm, just, I'm just keeping my expectations in check because this is not the same Sean Payton offense when he was with the Saints. No. This is a, it's a couple of tiers below. And just speaking about their defense, which now it's gotten to the point, obviously, where joke. you play everyone you can against the Denver Broncos defense. Brad Spielberger, again, friend of the show. The Broncos are 32nd in EPA per play allowed by a literal country mile. And they've played Jimmy G, Sam Howell, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson in four out of the five games. I mean, it is historically bad. And that's not even a difficult run of quarterbacks that they faced. What what if when they do? What happens? What happens? And they're tr- they're they're trading players. They're trading defense players away right now. Like they, just they've done it them. and cutting them. They are in the process of getting worse on purpose because they're closer to Caleb Williams season than anything else. Is there any Jerry Judy Cortland Sutton? Well, they play the Chiefs this week. Anything that you can say about Sutton or Jerry Judy? Like, who would you rather have rest of the season? Do you not I mean, believe in either of them? We're just flipping coins in flex territory land. I've never been a Jerry Judy guy. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't. And I'm not a Russ guy now either. I've seen some people who dive into quarterback play on a weekly basis saying, well, Russ hasn't been that bad. I don't know, man. I kind of disagree. He's not as bad as he was last year. Yeah. He's sure. improved. And mainly it's in the first 15 or 20 plays in a game. But like, as the game goes along, I also think it helps him that he has clearly lost about 20 pounds this offseason. And so he has a little bit more mobility to his game. So he is extending those. But it's still chaos. It's still chaos. And he can't cook yeah. like, he, like he used to in that chaos. It's very rare to see a 
quarterback that's played in the league as long as Russ has getting yelled at about not knowing where the hot was or whatever Sean Payton was saying on the sideline. Like you just don't see a head coach freak out on a veteran quarterback like that about like something that seemed at least easy in Sean Payton's eyes. Detroit Lions. Positive update. Amon Ross St. Brown says he is going to play this week. That is huge. But last week against a woeful Carolina Panthers team, how did they replace Amon Ross St. Brown? Because we might need this in our future. Well, they got Sam Laporta uh, on these trick plays. They got everybody on these trick plays. The one that you posted on Twitter was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. A, a, a snap right between Jared Goff's legs. We're doing reverse flea flickers. Laporta's winning out in the flats. And then my boy, uh, Josh Reynolds, it was averaging 9.0 expected half PPR points and is very efficient on them because to me, Ben Johnson's like one of the better play callers in the entire league. The offensive line looks good. So they'd be able to carve up these offenses no matter what. So uh, Monrod being back is a win here. Uh, Jameson Williams, I, I think we know what he is at this point. He can prove me wrong eventually. Until then, he's off the fantasy uh, wire. Uh, I think Josh Reynolds, a flex Laporte is a top five tight end. And then a David Montgomery, do we rank him as the RB two overall this week or is the RB three overall? That's kind of the, where I'm at with him. I mean, you and I miss at times when talking about players and offenses and those types of things, but the David Montgomery conversation from this summer, I mean, YKB baby, we know ball. We got some uh, merch coming your guys' way. We're, we'll decide how we're going to give it away, but we got these We Know Ball hats. And if you drafted Dave Montgomery, you get a hat, basically. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll come up with the rules, but it will be David Montgomery related. That is a fact. Uh, we'll see if Jameer Gibbs comes back. Typically, players coming off of hamstring injuries, it's not a one-week thing. We will see. They're not getting rid of David Montgomery, who's the RB2 in usage over the last month. In the last two games, 31.1. And 21.6 expected half PPR points. That's absurd. You're not seeing that uh, get rid of David Montgomery talk. He's trash on Twitter this year, are you? You're not. Like, Remember last year when like Khalil Herbert was running well and everyone's like, oh, throw Dave Montgomery away. He's not good. He was always good at football. Always. Yeah. Um, You viewers, we love you. Close your eyes. Just think. Imagine. Estimate where you think Josh Reynolds sits this year among wide receiver rankings in, ter- in terms of points per game scored. He is right next to Amon Ross St. Brown, I believe, as the wide receiver 17 on the season. I mean, is that flex at the worst? I mean, with Amon Ross coming back in the port, I, he's, he's been playing better than what his usage would indicate, but I do think that is a function of the offense. I also think he's just a better player than what people give him credit for. I think he's a flex. I, I don't want to get too carried away. I'll take my round 18 Josh Reynolds win, right. and and I'm not going to get too greedy at this point. And we'll see what happens with Jameson Williams. I can't take anything away from what we saw with him in the Nothing. dozen snaps that we saw with a drop of the middle of field. And it was actually pretty cool, the play where they hiked it between Jared Goff's legs to Dave Montgomery, which they picked up 10 yards in a third and six inside the 20-yard line. Amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you notice what Jared Goff was doing in that play? His tell was right before the snap to – not cue the defense to yell at Jamison Williams. Of, oh, you're in the wrong spot. You're in the yeah. wrong spot to act like he was doing something wrong. And then boom, surprise snap back to Dave Montgomery. It was pretty cool stuff. Do you think a shorter quarterback gets hit in the nuts on that snap? Like, is it just well, because Jared Goff's all legs after posting that in the NFL 
Twitter account reposting it too. I've gotten yeah. like Bruce Feldman. I've gotten like all these others. Yeah. Like schools throwing stuff at me. South Dakota yeah. State did it a couple of years ago where nice. the quarterback went on his tippy toes. Okay. <laughs> but no, uh, in that piece that Bruce Feldman tweeted out, um, they said the first three times that they did it, the guys got hit in his nuts three times. Well, the South South Dakota State, Detroit, at least you're getting some shrinkage up there. You can't do this in Miami. Okay. okay. <laughs> Green Bay Packers are up next. Um, it was a rough performance uh, on Monday Night Football. I think the overarching point when it comes to Green Bay Packers is this skill group is just so young that yeah. they're 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 going to make mistakes. Like this is what happens. This is why when Luke Musgrave runs the slant flat and there are two flat routes that he gets yelled at by. Mike Matt LaFleur on the sideline. Uh, look, I mean, Tej points it out. 24-year-old quarterback, 24-year-old wide receiver one, 23-year-old wide receiver two, 23-year-old wide receiver three, and then 23 and 22-year-old tight ends as well. Yeah, it's tough. And I just don't trust Jordan Love's accuracy on top of it. It's been it's been an issue. He missed Christian Watson a couple times. And I think our biggest fears with this offense are coming true with Christian Watson back in the mix. Both Romeo and Jaden Reed had season lows in expected half PPR points this week with Watson back. Watson still only had six targets in this game. They were fairly uh, just prayers down the field, not even like that many in isolated coverage. The one play he did get loose on was kind of a busted coverage. Good for them for picking that up. But this is an offense where there's not a clear cut must play player like Luke Musgraves dropped a little bit. Uh, and the usage Christian Watson, I think is going to be a better and best ball pick, but probably bad news. If you actually were drafting him just because I don't think that Jordan love, despite the early touchdown luck has gotten to a, a comfortable level where I can trust any of these guys like week to week. Let's have that Christian Watson conversation because this is through the lens of him being the 40th overall player in fantasy football drafts on underdog this summer, which is very different than your home leagues where he might've gone in the sixth round. Right. But to me, this outlines very well the potential differences in Aaron Rodgers, what we got last year versus Jordan Love this year. Because Aaron Rodgers was converting these downfield bucket throws at a ridiculous rate, right? Yes. They're still attempting those. They are still here, as you see, with four downfield patterns. However, just one of the four was hit, and it wasn't a touchdown. Again, last year, Christian Watson scored seven touchdowns on just 18 catches of 10 plus yards last season. Rogers attempted passes of 20 plus yards at the fifth highest rate and hit 12 touchdowns on those at the second highest mark in the league. His completion percentage was not good, but Jordan love this year is the fifth highest rate, but he's hitting just 25% of them has no touchdowns and two interceptions. So it sounds super basic to say it, but while yes, it was short or deep shot for Aaron Rodgers last year. I still trust Aaron Rodgers's arm to oh, make yeah. these high variance throws to Christian Watson work more often than Jordan Love. And if those big shots don't hit, will we see Christian Watson get more targets and his route tree expand? The answer to that is probably no. Look at that, like the last target of the game. That that in-breaking route just gets absolutely clamped down, defended away. Like Christian Watson is the player that he is. He could be one of the best deep targets gadget players. He's not a 10 target per game possession wide receiver not at all uh the closest thing they have that to that is to me is luke musgrave and romeo dobbs um 
yeah, and all the schemed up stuff to Jaden Reed that you guys were enjoying in PPR land is going to be it's gone. So like, and then when AJ Dillon and and Aaron Jones, like Aaron Jones coming off the injury hamstring again, didn't play this game. Like, is he going to actually be the bell cow? They got AJ Dillon going, and then on top of that, the Packers now have injuries on the offensive line that we weren't necessarily baking in. So it's just tough everywhere. It's so spread out for like mediocre and this just this coaching tree in general will play slow and run the ball like crazy if they have the opportunity to. Yeah, it's, I mean, Jane Reed was relevant earlier this season. And to me, he's irrelevant now. Over, and droppable. I, I do want to caveat this Christian Watson conversation by saying there's absolutely going to be a game this season or two or three where he catches a deep touchdown or two in those games. Yeah. But that stretch that he had last year is incredible. And I think Aaron Rodgers is a major factor in it. And we just haven't seen that so far from Jordan Love, even though he is testing it. And maybe it does hit. And maybe he does improve as the games he plays. But I don't want to make too much of a single game. But I don't think that we are also getting Christian Watson route runner at this point either. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going to the Houston Texans. So Tank Dell got a concussion. Uh, That almost certainly means he's out for next week. Nico Collins' first down game of the season, too. Four targets, three receptions, 39 yards. Anything else you want to talk about here for the Texans? Damien Pierce, uh, 10 of 36 routes. He's just so game script reliant. They will feed him the ball in neutral situations. The Texans are actually dead last in neutral pass rate. They're choosing to run the ball whenever they can. Uh, Nico Collins will have better games when he's not facing A.J. Terrell. That's why we, what we talked about in the matchups column. Uh, Tank Dell being out allowed Robert Woods to have a better game when it comes to at least usage. Um, so if he is out, Dalton Schultz, Robert Woods at least have a chance to get there. But I do think it will be just Damian Pierce and Nico Collins. But good to see the Texans at least had their offensive tackles back in this game. Um, those be better, cleaner games than what we were dealing with this last game, um, especially for Nico Collins. I think that he's a good enough player to be in fantasy lineups no matter what, but is he good enough players to beat the best elite corners in, in the game one-on-one? I'm not sure if he's there yet. So he's kind of like a boom-bust wide receiver two, three, depending on the matchup. New Orleans Saints, then a bye week, and then oh. we get the Carolina Panthers after that. Um, I don't know, man. I, I continue just to be really optimistic about Damian Pierce the rest of the way. I know it hasn't hit yet, and I know we don't have a long run from him so far, but the healthier this team gets, I said it after week one, the more they gel, and I think the coaching is good too, um, the more excited I am just about the Texans, let's say, rest of season. Okay, next, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Travis Etienne's profile has changed on the fly. Yes. Uh, so over the last two weeks, he has three carries from inside the five-yard line. In the previous three games before that, he had none, and that's not even factoring in another touchdown run from the six yard line. So we had talked about ETN owning the backfield between the tens here early on this season. They were utilizing tank Bigsby in short yardage situations that seems to have like evaporated. And it's the Travis ETN show. Yeah. Tank Bigsby's uh, only player. And according to PFF with the worst grade is Deuce Vaughn out of 63 running backs. So it's tank, tank Bigsby and then Deuce Vaughn. And I mean, Travis ETN, there's no way to put it. He was the best running back, basically, of the week last week. It was the best game of his season. He was forcing missed tackles left and right. So uh, it was a fantastic game from him taking advantage of a Bills defense that suddenly is quite injured uh, everywhere in the middle of the field and on the perimeter. And Travis Etienne 
took advantage of it. He's he's in one of the best spots, I think, for fantasy points rest of the season because Tank Bigsby has completely flopped. They're not using yeah. Jamichael Hasty anymore. And I think that Trevor Lawrence has played better than what the production of the offense uh, would indicate. So I think that Travis Etienne is now in a beautiful spot as long as he can keep Tank Bigsby away. Because these touchdown opportunities, because it was a rocky start to the season. Let's be real about Travis. Oh, yeah. It went 19 points, then five, then 16 points, then nine, right? And then obviously it's ballooned up to 34. But some touchdowns were scored in there, not by him. Mm -hmm. And that could easily jump a down performance from five points up to 11, you know? Like this also unlocks a 16-point game into a 22-point game. Now that he gets these short yards, it's, it's just such a major difference to, again, unlock the ceiling of a player when they are getting these short yardage opportunities. Um, also, what I love from Doug Peterson. So this is from Arjun Menon, who does great He's work. I mean, these charts are unbelievable. He puts out each week. Just to put this into context, this is how often teams run the ball on second and 10, following in first and 10 incompletion. So it's it can be somewhat of a small sample size for some teams. Never. This season has Doug Peterson ran the ball on second and 10 uh, after an incompletion on first, which we love. Yeah. And meanwhile, look at the Cardinals on the opposite end of this. Like it's, it just shows you the differences in coaching philosophies. Yeah. And the saints as well. We, we have concerns yeah. with the Falcons obviously. So yeah, this is, this is why we're optimistic about someone like Calvin Ridley, who had obviously a massive bounce back game. Calvin Ridley's tape. I thought was very good last week. Some yeah. of these, like he, he knows how to get in a DB's, behind him and cut that route off and come back to the ball. And Trevor Lawrence to me continues to be dialing things up. I do think that Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley have better opportunities when Zay Jones is battling through this knee injury, but in the four games where he wasn't being shattered by AJ Terrell, he's averaging 12.6 expected half PPR points. And I think that will refresh this year and he'll be one of the more efficient players ultimately. So I think he's, he's going to be a better in best ball guy potentially, um, but he's winning down the field. And those ultimately are the most valuable routes in the NFL, especially when your quarterback is Trevor Lawrence. Right. Like we hear about target share and targets per route run and all this stuff. But like one of these guys is getting end zone targets. One of these guys is getting vertical targets too. And it's Calvin Ridley. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I already said my spiel last week and I, I just think that people need to show a little bit of patience and not be so greedy. He's a top 15 guy with the chance to finish as like a wide receiver one in, in a given week. So uh, Trevor Lawrence on third and fourth downs against the Buffalo Bills went nine of 10 for 114 <laughs> yards and one touchdown. What a beast. I mean, that that third down dot that he threw to Calvin really to end the game was uh, mm -hmm. was pretty great. OK, next up, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the guy I keep bringing up each show, Hayden. I kind of want to bring up Rasheed Rice. He saw just 23% of the snaps played, which was down from 50% in the previous two games. But again, dovetailing our conversation from Sunday night, I think that's okay. We don't just have to stack, you know, 50, 55, 62, 70% of snaps. Because again, when we look back, I think on this season, he will bring a different element to this offense that others do not. And I think his game is going to continue to grow as the season goes along. At the expense of who? Like they have to sit Sky Moore for it to happen. Yeah. Like they like they have to like until that happens, we can just play wishful thinking there. I guess um, my point is this: he's not going to be an every down wide receiver for this team because they do love to rotate those players. Yes, but I think it's kind of what we saw in the red zone where they don't have a bigger body other than Travis Kelsey because they lost Jody Fortson to like work that. 
condensed field, which Justin Watson is not very good at. Mm -hmm. And maybe Rasheed Rice can be one of their go-to players other than Travis Kelsey and other than their running backs inside of the 20, 15, 10, five-yard line. Yeah, the Chiefs are still, I'm guessing, the only team in the NFL to not have a wide receiver even hit 10 expected half PPR points in a game. Right now, their wide receivers are the 57, 72, 92, 94, and 95th wide receivers and expected fantasy points because of that rotation. So, like... In a good matchup, if you're desperate on bye week and stuff, I would rank them Rasheed Rice. Then I would go Katerius Tony because his routes and stuff are coming up a little bit after that knee uh, foot injury or whatever it was. Um, and I think that eventually they'll start getting Sky Moore out of the lineup to get those two guys. They're just better players than Sky Moore. I mean, what Sky Moore is doing so far this season, I have the uh, I have the numbers on it. Uh, Sky Moore has 17 targets this year on 132 routes run. Underdog Cardio Club, baby. Uh, real quick on Pacheco, just he's had uh, 14.8 expected happy bear points since week two. In week one, he was coming back from injury. CH was actually playing. They basically removed him. So Pacheco's now up to the running back 12 in expected happy bear points. We haven't seen a Chiefs wide receiver rank that high since CH was what the running back five to start uh, the beginning of the 2022 season. Yeah, I mean, it's been a great run from 15, 23, 13 fancy points, and I don't expect that to change again after they uh, let him slowly come along to open the season. Las Vegas Raiders, I don't have much to say here. I mean, we got finally the Josh Jacobs usage paid off a bit more, and this is going to continue to keep up. Jacoby Myers is still a lasting member here. Final note, quickly on the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey did practice. Sounds like he is going to play on Thursday. Uh, what about the Raiders coming out of Monday Night Football for you? Look how condensed that is. <laughs> only three players. And I expanded the list of uh, players I would be showing here. Um, they only have three of them. It's insane. Devontae Adams was slowed down. Hard to tell if that was Jimmy G, his shoulder injury, the matchup, double teams, whatever it is. Probably a combination of all that. Jacoby Myers has gotten home in a lot of these games. Uh, 12.8 expected half PPR points uh, this season in his healthy game. So he is firmly in the... I'll say wide receiver two, three discussion, depending on the matchups. I know the efficiency wasn't there in this last game for Josh Jacobs. To me, just looking at his tape, I thought it was his best game of the year. Like he looked explosive, powerful, efficient, good cutbacks, all of it's kind of rounding into form. I would not be surprised if Josh Jacobs is a top five running back the rest of the way. And one of actually the better picks in the third round of fantasy drafts. It's been a horrific start. Right. Probably you can possibly say that was because of the training camp missing, but his usage is back to the elite category RB five in usage. And I think that his tape is kind of matching that at this point. Yeah. Again, we're through five weeks. He's played in all five of these games, but if you want to just take his average per game right now, he is ahead of Tony Pollard. He's ahead of Isaiah Pacheco. He is tied with Brian Robinson. He is 0.8 points per game behind Deandre Swift. And one point per game behind Bijan Robinson. Like we can get really frustrated in 8.1 and 7.4 points to open the game, open the season. But now we've gotten two massive performances from Josh Jacobs in the last two weeks. And just hopefully the Raiders like aren't just one of the worst teams in the NFL throughout the entire season. And you know, their offensive line can figure it out a bit more as we go along. The usage is there. That's for sure. Los Angeles chargers. Austin Eckler is back. 99% likely he is back. They are coming out of their bye. What do you want to see? I want to see Eckler back because I don't want to rank Josh Kelly. Um, <laughs> I think that's that's where we got to start with the show. 
Um, I, I guess the only big news is other other than that is Justin Herbert. What's his finger looking like? Is he fully practicing? Yeah, I, I'm thinking he's gonna just play through it because he's a warrior. Um, and I think he's probably will be a little bit fine, but it's something to monitor. Keenan Allen's been a wide receiver eight going back to last year. Now he has no Mike Williams. I think he's going to go completely crazy. But to me, I think this could be an, a huge statement game for Austin Eckler. Uh, I think he has a chance to be one of the best fantasy assets from this point on because just how the offense has been rolling. And Kellen Moore has gone back and forth with how he's running his offense, sometimes short, sometimes deep run game, pass game only. It'll be kind of matchup uh, driven by do think just because of Mike Williams loss and the, the Justin Herbert injury. I'm expecting massive games from Austin Eckler now. Not the easiest combination of teams to come back to. It's the Dallas Cowboys and it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Although there should be some Two really Dallas. high score environments, mm-hmm. which are, are really fun. Then after that, you get the, the Chicago Bears. So, I mean, I'm really excited to see Austin Eckler the rest of the way. Um I do think that he will be more, even more involved in the passing game without Mike Williams. Uh, that was going to be a big focal point, obviously, in, in week one. And we haven't really seen that at all with Josh Kelly and others since then. But Eckler is a different animal in that regard. Would you dare with Gerald Everett without Donald Parham with that wrist injury? Like it's I don't know. tight end two streaming. Season tight end two, two land. That, that section of tight ends, just like. What's the point? Throw one up and like hope it sticks. You know, like pick the one that has the highest team total that week. Yeah. Yep. Maybe it is the, uh, maybe it is the chargers. Okay. After this, it's the new Orleans saints. I don't have anything written down for this team. I mean, Alvin Kamara stomped the new England Patriots who I just skipped. We'll go back to them in a moment. Chris Olave found the end zone. This is just one of those games that wasn't normal. So I don't have a lot of takeaways from it this weekend. Yeah. Just based off of the stats, Alvin Kamara, 20.4 and 20.2 expected half PPR points in his two games. That is elite usage for him. Chris Olave, we had the, like that ankle injury. I thought that he was moving fine enough. He nearly had a long touchdown. This guy has a lot of near touchdowns. I just want to throw that out there. Did find the actual end zone in the red zone this time. I thought Derek Carr looked uh, at least functional uh, this week compared to the last week. I will say with Chris Olave, though, he is like the wide receiver 31 since the beginning of last season. That's kind of where he's been this year as well. I do think this offense looks way different when you have Alvin Kamara out there because they're just going to give him the ball so often. I do think that will have trickle-down effects for Olave and Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, by the way, has been super steady this year. It's like actually shocking. Uh, he's also due for some positive touchdown luck. So, wow. yeah, I think that the Saints are just like – Somewhat conservative, I guess less conservative than they were last year. Derek Carr has been fine. I guess he's an upgrade over Andy Dalton. Um, but I think we're going to deal with some inconsistencies for New Orleans moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Chris Olave is stuck right next to like Amari Cooper and actually Curtis Samuel mm-hmm. in fancy points per game this season. And he was a round two pick. I mean, he's right there with Jalen Waddle. Let's put it that way. As like round two guys that... Yeah. Uh, haven't hit their stride, and it's worth questioning after week five uh, if they are going to pay off as round two picks. He's a wide receiver 19 in usage over the last month. So, Okay, New England Patriots. This team sucks. And how bad do they suck? Uh, let's send it over to uh, Mike Reese, who's longtime beat reporter for the team. The Patriots have now been outscored 45 to nothing off turnovers this season, which is the worst point differential in the league. They allowed 37 points off turnovers last season. 
and they were plus 77 points off turnover differential, led the NFL. So you go from plus 77 last year to minus 45 this year, which is a 122-point swing hate. Do pick sixes count into the points off turnovers? Like actually? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It's like literally from the point of the turnover onwards. For that um, next drive, yes. Okay. Well, I'm looking for any fantasy production. Here's a couple None. players that have a chance. I have a chance. Hunter Henry tied in five and routes. The schedule is much. If you look at the Patriots schedule for this next month of the, the season, there's at least a chance for production. They ran into some really tough defenses. I would say Hunter Henry has a chance. Ramondre Stevenson has a chance, but I will say Ramondre is the only running back in the NFL without a 15 yard carry that touched the ball 65 times, which that has been is, his game in the past. I don't know what's up there. I think a lot of his offensive line. Is it Dante Scarnecchia? I think the Patriots miss him. No, he has. He hasn't been the LL coach for years. <laughs> they do miss him. You can't you can't debate that. Uh, I will say this way. The Patriots are in such a bad spot that people are wondering if they're going to fire Bill Belichick in the middle of the season. That's where we're at. Yeah, they don't have I mean, a fall guy. They don't have a natural fall guy right now. No, no, they don't. Uh, but man, they can't bench Mac Jones either. Like, Know, Bailey Zappi exactly. had these open wide receivers and was AO mailing them too. It's just uh it's a rough state all around uh, for this team. Okay, we'll keep going. New York Giants. Um the Giants have been outscored by 91 points through 5 weeks. Mm -hmm. That's not only the worst point differential in the NFL, but that's the second worst point differential for a franchise since the year 2000. Only the 2013 Giants were worse. They are unserious until their offensive line gets back. And I don't know when those guys will come back. It's like they're down like four offensive linemen. I will say this optimism right here. Ready? Darren Waller usage last week was fun. Like he was, they were getting him on option routes. They were getting him talk about the three by one sets that we were dreaming about this off season. We actually saw that with Darren Waller. He's not making all of the plays at this point. But at least this last week, season high in usage. Uh, he's the tight end eight in usage over the last month. But I thought last week was the first time where it was like very evident to me that Darren Waller was the entire focal point of the offense when they were able to actually snap the ball and not get their necks literally almost broken. Um, so I, I was at least encouraged by that. And I think that Tyrod Taylor on the grand scheme of things is a capable quarterback if he's healthy too he also was dealing with injury late in the game as well okay we haven't seen saquon for a bit if saquon barkley comes back and is all cleared would you just straight up trade saquon barkley before any of your league mates can see him back on this offense i think that's i think that's possible i, I i'm also curious if the giants are going to be willing to trade him i mean this season is over that's what i would be considering if i was the giants um yeah it's it's start with the offensive line. If the offensive, literally Daniel Jones can't even operate. Like it's right. to me, like he's Daniel Jones taking a lot of criticism, I guess somewhat fairly, but I mean, we are approaching levels. We haven't even seen before with this offensive line. It's like a turnstile at this point. Yeah. And look, everyone knows if you tune into the summer, I said that Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka didn't want to be an offense that was stuck 10 yards and in. And then what do we have here in uh <laughs> week five? Every single completion was less than 10 yards. But again, I think the root of it is the offensive line. I, at my core, I truly believe that this is not what Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka want oh. this thing to look like. <laughs> but it just has to be. It has to be. Um, yeah. And teams have caught up to, obviously, the mobility aspect. And you can't even block that appropriately. 
either. Okay, Pittsburgh Steelers are next. Um, oh boy, what a what a run of teams we're on, Josh. They are going into their bye week. Uh, can they get a new offensive coordinator and a quarterback that understands pass protection? Um, that, I wouldn't get your hopes up. Uh, I will say this though: George Pickens had one hell of a game. I mean. These sideline catches that George Pickens is capable of hitting are out of control. High pointing passes, getting his feet on the ground. This is the most like vintage George Pickens usage. Uh, some t- some of these were going to go out of bounds, but like this one right here. There's only so many wide receivers that can actually make plays like this consistently. He did about like five or six times in this one, including that game winner. They were basically daring George Pickens to beat them, and he was the only way this offense was moving. At all, we'll see if Deontay comes back coming out of their bye week. He says he's going to be ready, um, but George Pickens, to me, um, he at least has some fight in an offense that doesn't have much fight at all. I, I don't think they're going to make a move at OC, right? Okay, it's very different than how Gabe Davis gets his production, okay. but his stat lines this season have been very Gabe Davis like in terms mm-hmm. of roller coaster and high variance. Just to talk you through these six points. 21 points, nine and a half points, four points, then 23 points. So like two of those times that you started George Pickens, it ruined you. One was fine with 10 points and then two helped you win your week. Mm -hmm. So like he kind of goes, yeah, yeah, but then that also equals, you know, the wide receiver 17, I believe in half point PPR per game this season, Mm -hmm. which makes him sound stable. But with his style and the quarterback he's attached to and the offense he's attached to, he's a very unstable player to me. And this is why I, like, can't get behind him. Could you at least admit he's fun to watch? No, he is. Like, but He's really fun to watch. But I think because he's fun to watch, it warps people's minds of him, like, thinking that he's an incredible player. Yeah. He has some flaws. But damn, I don't care about those flaws when he's making those <laughs> plays down the down the sideline. That is the Des Bryant esque. Is 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 this a case where I don't know coming out of the bye week that we just look at like the team totals and say if he's a wide receiver two or wide receiver three or better that week? He will not be a wide receiver two in my rankings ever. Okay, but I just. Well, he was for that one week. I'm just saying. When Deontay comes back, it's a whole another ball game. Like you can't. George Pickens is like barely getting there right now without Deontay. Like the second Deontay gets back in there, Got things become a stone cold disaster. I mean, okay, two of the first three games he's back, Aiden. The Rams, the Jaguars, and then the Titans secondary. He will be in the flex conversation. <laughs> I will promise you that. And I'm you can, pushing you in a direction here. Well, I know you are, but. I'll tell you this way. When it's Wandale Robinson versus George Pickens, oh, who yeah, is yeah, the yeah, more yeah. fun no. flex option? I mean, come on. This is I, I, I think an interesting conversation and people might laugh at this, like Josh Reynolds or George Pickens. Right. Yeah, I think that's similar. I, I will say the opposite of a PPR scam is what George Pickens is putting on tape. <laughs> okay, San Francisco 49ers. George Kittle popped up for wow. his annual or let's say biannual yeah. monster game. And this happens. Like just the conversation we just had with George Pickens can be devoted here to George Kittle, who goes for very, very little and then will pop up for a two or three touchdown performance. He's done it for multiple years now, and it happened this past weekend on just three catches. Yeah, three catches, 7.4 expected half PPR points and pops up for 21. Like this is just a function of George Kittle being 
a Hall of Fame level player and this offense being completely unstoppable. Brock Purdy playing very good football, doing exactly what he's asked for. Um, and yeah, it's we're going to be trading off big weeks from Kittle, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, CMC. All these guys are extremely good. There's only so many footballs to go around. So consistency will be an issue with all these guys. Debo Samuel's usage has been taking a hit a little bit. I, I wonder how much of that has been the injuries. And then Brandon Ayuk, uh, he's been more bankable this year than years prior because he's really damn good. The usage is not aligned with how good of a football player he is. And that's just because George Kittle scoring the touchdowns and you're shit out of luck. I will say, though, this past week, Debo Samuel greatly outscored Brandon Ayuk because he got uh, five carries for 30 yards yep. to go on top of his three catches for 55. Uh, just to put myself in the viewer's shoes here, with George Kittle, since you drafted him, you just have to live with this, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's no week that you can be like, uh, actually, I'm going to play Luke Musgrave over him. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, one of these cases where, like, I have the usage model. I have all these charts and stuff. And then when I finally actually am doing my rankings, I'm like, he's not an actual uh, elite tight end one, but he can act like an elite tight end one in a spot. So I always rank him as a tight end five, tight end six, even if it makes no sense, just because he, he most weeks he will not finish as the tight end six. Right. Because like, there's, there's about five tight ends in the NFL, maybe less than that, that have the ability to put up a 26 point game. And he is one of them. Mm -hmm. But then also there are three other games where he scored four and a half or fewer points. So hopefully in those matchups, you don't That's have awesome. a close, well, you don't have a close competition between you and your buddy in your league and you've blown them out. And actually most fancy matches each week are blowouts. Um, and then he gives you a 26 pointer when you, when you really need, I it. think you're in hell. If you have like Evan Ingram and George Kittle, like that's where you're like, I'm good luck to me. Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they are coming out of their buy. Thoughts on them moving forward. Jackson Smith and Jigba post by rookie bump, Hayden. Yeah, for you, those that are new, post by rookie bump is just players coming out of their bye week. They usually have time to review the film. They also have time to scheme these guys up uh, to see where they win all that stuff. The problem with Jackson Smith and Jigba is he's only running shallow routes. Geno Smith isn't trying to throw shallow routes because he has these two dudes on the perimeter. And we're starting from like basically zero with JSN in terms of usage. So it, I think to me, it's still a prove it uh, situation for JSN. I will say DK Metcalf's usage is down from 12.7 to 8.4 expected fantasy points. And then Tyler Lockett's yards per route run is down from 1.9 last year to 1.3. So these two guys have been fine. They've had a decent enough weeks, but the consistency is just not there. And I think the big reason is just because Kenneth Walker's been an absolute terror uh, on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think part of the DK Metcalf change in his expected points is also like he's not seeing that monster number of red zone targets like he was last year. I mean, again, he led the NFL or no, he was third in the NFL with 27 targets inside of the 20 yard line. Mm -hmm. um, and then this year, if I can find it so far, and it's not going to be totally fair because obviously he... Uh, he missed a game due to a bye. Uh, I don't even think he. Where is he? Look, command F. Uh, there he is. He has four so far this season. So that, that is a big difference. And meanwhile, on top of that, uh, Kenneth Walker has 18 carries inside of the 20 yard line. So like that, that is the big difference here. Kenneth Walker is breaking my charts. Look at this one. This is the yards before contact. Guy. 
and then missed tackles per carry. Look at Kenneth Walker. That he's is not absurd. efficient, Hayden. They were that going to replace him. Absurd. Ub, absurd. Post by rookie bump for uh, Zach Sharpen. Zach Sharpen well, is the, the, he's a definition of I don't care what he's done. He should be on every single bench because this offense is good enough and Charbonnet can finish some runs where he would be a valuable asset. But in the meantime, Kenneth Walker is like one of the few difference-making running backs in the league. And they've been doing some cool pony personnel stuff between them. Mm -hmm. Shane Waldron, he's from this tree. And he's uh, each week with two tight ends and like building runs off of it. And there's a different play action pass or anyways, building some cool things that he's setting up on a weekly basis. And final note on JSN, uh, the Seahawks are 24th with 11 personnel usage. And it's because, again, they have all these tight ends that they want to put out there on the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are also coming out of the bye. Uh, Mike Evans was injured prior to it with a hamstring injury. I haven't yeah. seen any reports on Mike Evans so far. Yeah, officially injured reports start on Wednesday. So we'll learn more then. Uh, when he was out of there, Chris Godwin had season high 13.5 expected fantasy points. So that's something to monitor. Obviously, he would be better. But I think this offense... Uh, I'm not expecting anything to change. Uh, Rashad White, he's been very inefficient. They have a post by rookie bump candidate waiting back but there. He's but getting he's getting so he's, much volume. Yeah. Rashad White's getting so much volume that, like, yeah. it's to the point of you almost have to start him on a weekly basis just based on being a sponge. Yeah, RB18 on RB11 usage over the last month for Rashad White. So, and that's not going away. I really don't think because Chase Edmonds, I believe, is on injured reserve and the passing down work. They probably only trust Rashad White in that environment. And Baker Mayfield has only been hit 11 times so far this season. Wow. 11 times. Damn. We'll go to Tennessee Titans. So I actually think there's some things to talk about here. Um, first, let's talk about this backfield because while it's only 30%, Tajay Spears is cutting into Derrick Henry's usage. And if the Titans aren't good overall in a season, I think that obviously Derrick Henry losing 30% of work is significant for the outcome of being a first round pick in fantasy football. Yeah. Last year he was averaging 15.8 expected fantasy points this week. It's at 12.6. So he's lost about three of them, which is about 30%. Uh, like you mentioned there, what they're doing with Ty J is pretty fun to me. It They're actually stealing a lot of the looks that you're seeing with like, a chan like that. Look how many how many times have we seen that with the Dolphins, where you have him coming in motion. Here's a little, little bit of fullback stuff. They'll get him in the screen game just a little bit. Like they're doing a lot of the the small running back stuff as a compliment to Derrick Henry, which we have not seen before since what what is it, like Dion uh, like back in 2019. So that has hurt uh, Derrick Henry. At least Peter Skaronski's back. At least Ryan Tannehill is making some plays in this game. But Tyje like they're actually getting him the rock and that they're really using like him. Tyje just in ways that are just like fun that we have not seen. Uh, and it's kind of the, the short King running back summer and fall right now is these type of plays are eating into. Yeah. You're underrating Tajay's size though. He's not a small running back. I mean, just the way that they're using him, like pony personnel yeah. end arounds and stuff. Like we weren't seeing that that much last year. Like we talked about pony personnel, right. like every single year going and say it never actually happens. This year is actually being utilized in like ways that matter. Yeah. It's almost like when you have fast guys, you should get them moving quickly and then already get them out in space rather than making them run off the middle of the field. I've been a big fan of Tajay, obviously since uh, last draft season, anything you want to say about Deandre Hopkins, who I've not been a big fan of and he went off in week five. Yeah, so he's had, I would say, three healthy games. He played that one game where he was like clearly not healthy. And in those three healthy games, 13.2 expected half PPR points, 
Um, I don't think he's actually going to average that many, but he can get hot. He made a couple of vintage plays out there um, down the sideline, big catch radius, all that type of stuff. So the Titans are holding on for dear life. They are one of these teams I think could fall apart a little bit. Um, and then once again, I rewatched that game. Aquanqua just kept dropping passes, man. <laughs> Every week we have to mention it. I know. Um, yeah, I mean, Ryan Tannehill still is willing to take a shot off play action mm-hmm. and he will just throw it up to DeAndre Hopkins uh, over yeah. the middle of the field. And then DeAndre Hopkins catches it and falls. Yep. But he catches it. Washington commanders. So it's been interesting. I don't know if you have this in your notes, but I believe that Logan Thomas is projecting for more fancy points or his expected fancy points is higher than any wide receiver on the team so far this season. I have, I have seen some people mention that that is because Eric B is taking the Travis Kelsey usage <laughs> and imparting that onto Logan Thomas. When you go back and watch Logan Thomas is not running routes in the same way as Travis Kelsey. They're not these option routes. There's not these choice routes. There's none of that stuff. Checkdowns. In, in fact, yeah, a lot of it is as we've talked about since the preseason, so many vertical routes with all three of these pass catchers and look who the underneath player is. It's it's Logan Thomas now, and this is you know a hail so mary stuff. that he gets. Yeah. yeah, there was one where they would isolate him as like the backside X, and he against Tyreek Stevenson, this twenty three right. year old rookie, would run an out and an up, and he got down the field, and it was a near conversion. I don't know. I will say, in the grand scheme of things, of how Titan sucks this year, um, Logan Thomas when he's on the field is maybe the most reliable part of this passing game other than Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Thanks. I hate it, but it is true right now. The commanders are tight end or the, the number three team in how often they use their tight ends, the starting tight end, even when it was uh Cole Turner that one week, he was a tight end one in usage and Logan Thomas has been the tight end five uh, over the last month of the season um, in usage. So like, I mean, at some point, it is real. It is classic the enemy offense. So, like, remember that Raiders? There's only three players that were qualifying for right. the usage. Look at this. I mean, like everyone's getting there. We're waiting. Diami Brown is qualifying. All three of the this the, wide receiver rotation that is Chiefs esque needs to take a seat. Yeah, it Dotson, McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, all of them are down in usage. They're getting running backs involved. They're getting uh, Logan Thomas, like you said, involved. Diami Brown is a schemed up shot guy. Um, last one I had on the Commanders. Just Brian Robinson in the big losses, he's averaging seven expected fancy points in the in the wins or that overtime game. That's at 14.8, like one of the most game script dependent players. We got rug pulled because they were supposed to win this game against the Chicago Bears. Instead, it's a blowout loss. That's what's dangerous about ranking Brian Robinson too high. He's a fun player to have where you drafted him, but banking on consistency out of him is a fool's errand. I think that is going to do it. I think our longest show of the season because we spent – an hour on the first 10 teams, uh, but we love you for it. We forgot to s- ask you to subscribe. Do that. Uh, as Hayden said, we have some merch on the way for you. You will need to be subscribed in order to win that. Uh, we have like 60 hats at some point to give out. They're sweet. You can be a future dad like us and, uh, <laughs> and own them. this is. is a step in the right direction for all of those. Okay. Thank you to Bruiser Waves. Thank you to all of you. Uh, scheme, hopefully, is going to go up on Thursday this week. Colt had a couple things happen this week, but uh, we'll be back in the lab. Let's put it that way. Uh, and again, tiers and rankings and all that stuff. 
starting on tomorrow and going through Friday. They'll be up there too. All right. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the Villa. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya.